Hello and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast. My name is Oliver Brady. And I'm Sarah Ifstecker. And on this podcast, we talk about how movies, TV and books depict the medieval world in both historical fiction and medieval-esque fantasy. We talk about what they get right, what they get wrong, and what they tell us about how modern people see the medieval world. Hmm. What sort of things do they normally get wrong, Sarah? They normally think everyone in the Middle Ages just murdered each other all the time. But yeah. at least what our movie today tells us is that people sucked in the early modern period, too. Oh, because are, <laughs> we, are, are we moving out of the medieval period? We are venturing slightly for, I think, our second time into early modernity. Ooh, very yeah. fancy. Now, is Prima Nocta a thing in this movie? <laughs> it's not. Well, I guess it's that, like, you know, every night is uh, it's Prima Nocta in this movie. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> um, so, why are we doing this podcast? Uh, so I wanted to do this podcast because I am professionally a medieval historian. I have a PhD in medieval history and uh, even, as we will see later, have a story from my PhD coursework directly related to this movie. Oh. Um, Ollie, why did you want to do this podcast where I complain about historical inaccuracies in medieval movies? Listeners, what Sarah doesn't know is that just after she said, I have a PhD in medieval uh, history is I put in like a wah, 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 kind of buzzer <laughs> sound and because I do, I do the editing um, that's what that's the skill I bring to the podcast is editing shit um, Sarah brings all of the knowledge and charm and stuff and then I'm like oh like oh, I can edit stuff um, but also you bring lots of knowledge you I, you, I like, you do movies I do no movies that's true that is true thanks Sarah thanks for the <laughs> bone you just threw me but um, I like doing the podcast because I like talking about stuff where dudes get stabbed with swords or in the case of this movie where people get stabbed with other things um, no Sarah oh. what, is, what is today's movie today we watched Dangerous Beauty a 1998 film that I'm just gonna say now I remembered as being basically softcore porn it actually had less sex than I thought it had, which might have something to do with the fact that when I first saw it, I was 14 and also watching this with my mother. Yep, yep. And <laughs> as we know, Beth, former guest, hey, how are you doing? Uh, she, Hi, Mom. She is big into watching the the filthy movies. That's what Sarah's told me many times. <laughs> she said her mom loves a bit of filth. Likes well, it's also that I think there's something inherently awkward about watching a ton of sex scenes with your parents. And so I think there was just enough sex that I was like, oh, God, I'm watching this movie with all of this sex with my mother. That's kind of awkward. There, there might not be all that much sex, but there's definitely some there's definitely some naked bodies. There's there definitely are. some heaving bosoms and there's definitely some um, some serious innuendo going on. Oh, yes. And this movie stars Catcher McCormick. Now, we all know Catcher McCormick. She was Mrs. Braveheart. I'm not even certain if she had a name, <laughs> but she didn't make it to the end. She failed the <laughs> If Decker test. Um, it so, did. It very badly did. <laughs> so, uh, Catcher McCormick, a very beautiful young lady, and she plays Veronica Franco. This movie also stars Rufus Sewell as Marco Venier. This is, I believe, the third appearance on this podcast of Sexy Rufus. Hey, Sexy we, Rufus. We need more Sexy Rufus in our life. Um, Oliver Platt plays his, I think he's his cousin, uh, mm -hmm. Matthew Venier. 
and yes. Moira Kelly from The Cutting Edge. And uh, as we both learned recently, she's the adult Nala in um, The Lion King. She plays Beatrice Vinnie, who is Marco's brother, and she was Veronica's childhood friend. Can I correct your Italian and be really mean? Yeah, of course. I believe the Latin pronunciation, or sorry, the Italian pronunciation of her name would be Beatrice. It would be Beatrice. Yeah, if you wanted to really, really go for the Italian. Oh, I'm as Irish as the call, Sarah Becker. <laughs> so you're lucky I'm not just calling it Beatrice. <laughs> so Beatrice Vinier. Um <laughs> Also, and I forgot this. We, the, Tripto, we did not watch this today. We watched this a few weeks ago. I completely forgot Naomi Watts was in this movie. She is. She uh, plays uh, poor Rufus Sewell's long-suffering wife, uh, Julia Delette. But I, right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about this in a little bit, right? <laughs> she is long-suffering, but also she's a tad of a bitch. Like she, she is. She's really, really bitchy. <laughs> so I feel kind of bad for her, but she could also be less of a bitch. She does rub it right in his face, like. Uh, I am very chaste and Christian, and you will have sex with me just to have children. Like, and that's... she's really mean to Veronica Franco for being basically a woman who does things besides read the Psalms. Yeah, but I mean, in fairness, the thing she does besides read the Psalms, we'll get into that in the movie. But we meet Jacqueline Bizet <laughs> as uh, Biz- Jacqueline Bizet. Oh my god, <laughs> Jacqueline Bizet as. Carla Franco, Veronica's mother, um, who's been in just about everything. She has. And from back in the day when nobody pretended James Bond was supposed to be classy, she was in the 1967 Casino Royale playing, I am not joking, Giovanna Goodthighs. Yeah, Giovanna Goodthighs. Because that's nice. a name. That's if I was going to name somebody, <laughs> I would name them Giovanna Goodthighs. Like, what? I mean, that's going to be my first child's name, obviously. Of course, Giovanna Goodchild's <laughs> Decker, and then just say Sewell, because you're married, sexy Rufus. Now, <clears throat> we're now going to uh, recap the movie. Every single week I say this, and we have been getting slightly better. We're going to try and not spend as much time recapping the movie. It is a fun <laughs> film, though, so there's a good chance we will. Um, but this is a section we like to call Enumeratio. Also, on a little aside, Sarah, I have acquired a choir. Have you? Yes, I have. And they will be replacing my singing in the not too distant future. Are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they don't have to. No, no, Sarah. Sarah, They're (laughs) they're definitely going to replace my singing. Uh, In a numeratio, we're going to recap the movie. So, Sarah, how does this film start? With a literal parade of prostitutes. Yes, it does. It Prostitutes on parade. F- fantastic. Welcome to early modern Venice, the city of sin. It that's does seem like the this movie. <laughs> that's effectively what they're saying. It's like, welcome to Sin City, Italy in the early modern period. Yes. So we meet Veronica Franco, who is uh, still young and relatively innocent, but uh, clearly has a spirit of adventure. As well as her best friend, Beatrice, and her brother, Marco, who Veronica is super into. Sorry, did you say Beatrice? Yes. Yeah, okay, sorry, I was just making sure that's what you said. B. Um, <laughs> B. Um, <laughs> like, when, when we say this starts with um, 
a literal parade. It it is literally a parade <laughs> of boat prostitutes and men who are proudly going off to spend the evenings with their prostitutes. Uh-huh. Like, well, it's that the men are like coming home from war. Yeah, so, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna get here's, some. Here's my prostitute. And that's where we get Rufus Sewell checking out uh, Veronica Franco, who, I mean, what age is she meant to be in this movie? Um, I'm trying to figure that out. I think she's kind of presented at least as being in like her teens, which isn't quite accurate as we'll talk about later to the uh, age that this character would have been at the state necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think she's supposed to be like 16, 17 based on how the character is presented in the film. Yeah. Um, but she's played by Catherine McCormick who looks like she's 27. I think that is about what she is. I think I looked it up and she's in her kind of mid twenties or yeah, so. Which makes it an awful lot easier to fall in. It's, it's a funny, it's a weird thing. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a man thing or whatever. I get very uncomfortable when very young people are playing characters like this. Mm-hmm. And even though she looks too old for the character she's playing, because she's a 26-year-old woman or 27-year-old woman playing a 17-year-old, I'm much more comfortable with this because right. she's it's somebody pretending to be innocent, pretending to be sweet, pretending to not know anything about the world, as opposed to somebody who might conceivably not know stuff about the world. And it makes it right. a lot easier to watch as an adult. Like You're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, no, thank God. Thank God I'm not watching a 15-year-old doing this. Right, that that definitely makes it kind of creepy and gross, so there's something to be said for it. Um, It is also, I will say, though, an interesting choice the movie makes, that the movie actually does make the character, I think, seem younger and more innocent at this kind of time period in her life that she's supposed to be, like, based Mm -hmm. on the dates. Um, uh, And so I think that's really the kind of story they want to tell, is her kind of journey into, I guess, lack of innocence. Yeah. So... We get Marco, played by Rufus Sewell, and this is what Sarah's written down here. Rufus Sewell is gorgeous, and I'm fairly certain she could have just left the note at that. <laughs> but he is, in fact, like... The, and right, he's clearly uh, gorgeous. There this is, is a like, good, peak Rufus Sewell. This is peak Rufus. There's a good chance very few of you listening have actually seen this movie, um, because I had never even heard of it until Decker told me about it. But... He's like a fucking beautiful man. Like I'm I watching had a it going, big teen crush on Rufus Sewell well, because of this movie. Well, hello, Mister Sewell. Like, come on down. Like, he's got the hair. He's got the beauty. He's got right. First of all, he's got Rufus Sewell's face, which is like you know, and on. his gorgeous curling locks. Do you think, right? If if we were to take his genes and Killian Murphy's genes, we could create the perfect cheekbone structure. Yes. Because, I mean, god damn, those two men have beautiful cheekbones. Yes, that would just be, wow, if you could combine them, that would just be like the like peak beautiful man. Yeah, I know. Be, like, get on it, Hollywood. Um, Do that. Then, Work on that clothing. <laughs> so he comes over and he has a little bit of, let's just say, it's meant to be rippy. Or rippy? <laughs> it's meant to be witty repartee with um, with Veronica Franco, who's meant to be very intelligent and... Uh, she's meant to be very sharp-witted. Um, but basically he says stuff along the lines of, I didn't notice you until you blossomed. And yeah, this guy clearly thinks he has game and in the context of the movie, I guess he does because she's into it. But in the context of me watching this movie as a woman in my 30s, 
come on, dude. <laughs> it was until he blossomed. It's just not Yeah. And that also like makes it extra gross because it really does also make it sound. And as I said, as we said before, the actress is in her 20s, but it really does make it sound again like this is definitely this like 17 year old girl. And the last time she saw like he saw her, she was like 13. And it's like, yeah, that's that's the it's a it's a creepy thing. And I said, if it wasn't for the fact that he looks like Rufus Sewell, like if. We're going to get to get to a second. Oliver Platt's also in this movie is Mafio, right? Now, if he had said that line, you know he ain't getting played. Like, oh, definitely not. And in fact, he doesn't. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's where we get most of our um, most of our. Oh my god, yeah. Sarah's just reminding me. This basically is a. I'm a good guy. And then he turns into an incel when the, he gets rejected later <laughs> yep. on in the movie. Oh, yes. Let's talk about this. But anyway, um, he also tells uh, the lovely Veronica that he will, I'll only marry for love. And he says it in this really breathy voice. No, he I, does. I, I will only marry for love. His other line that I think might be literally the most cringeworthy is that he gives her some book of poetry. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she says, you bought this for me. And he said, I did. I just didn't know it. <laughs> it's like, come on. You it's have so to be really good. attractive to get away with this shit. It's like, I did buy it for you. I just didn't know it was for you when I bought it. And then she's like, <sighs> it's like, come on, girl. You should know better. All right. So uh, we then get to um, Beatrice. <laughs> wedding, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We don't have to Italianize her. I'm going to do it every podcast. single time now. From, and, uh, I just father, think about it because that's actually Dante's like girlfriend that he never actually like spoke to more than three times. That was her name. Oh, so, yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. But you with your fancy knowledge there. It's like you've got a PhD in a lot of this stuff. But, I know, um, right? <laughs> Marco's, uh, Marco's dad is all like, you can't be doing any of this. Like, you have to you stay away from Veronica. Uh, he's not going to marry you. He just wants to, like, get it on, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, that he actually, I kind of like him in this because mm-hmm. he's definitely trying to kind of warn Veronica, like, be careful, dude's not going to marry you. Sorry, hun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Marco comes in and he said, oh, I'm not going to marry you. I'm not going to marry some, I'm going to marry a rich lady. She's going to have lots of money. And Veronica gets all upset. Nobody yep. else is. Everyone else is just like, <laughs> dude, yeah, like that's how it works back then. As Sarah, as you always Everyone say, else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is another one of those movies where at least everyone seems to understand what an arranged marriage is. Except for marrying, her. Except for her. But she's like, she's meant to be 16. Right. Um, uh, and he comes in and he says, marriage isn't romantic, which is true. Like that's, yeah. that's the whole point. That's why there are so many prostitutes who are well-known and well-loved within the city, apparently. It's because all of the men are married for political reasons or for, you know, money-related reasons. So they're yeah. all going out and doing that. And I'm sure there are a bunch of gigolos running around servicing the ladies, too. Is this true? Is that is that how it would go on, Sarah? Um, um, so I think probably, honestly, what happened is that the women are probably mostly sleeping with their husbands' underlings. Ah, yes. I really... Because, like, they can't, like, you can't get away with publicly as a woman, um, like, hiring a male prostitute. 
Um, because basically the way things work is that adultery essentially only counts for men in this period. Mm, that's what I've been told. I'm sorry, only counts for, for women. women. <laughs> only women can commit adultery. Men can do whatever they want. But as I said, he's being realistic with her, but also the fact that he has been so cold and calculating about this, it is, in fact, a super dick move from him. Yeah, it like, really just seems like he's like trying to take advantage of her innocence to get with her, basically. Yeah, you, but he really could let her down in so much more of a gentle way because we are led to believe later on that he is in love with this woman. Yeah. And if you're in love with this woman, I get the whole, you know, rip off the band-aid quickly kind of thing. But no, like you can still say, no, I love you. But the only right. way that I can get married and the only way that's going to work is for me to marry someone else but i will still be always in love with you or something like this here or hey why don't we go out to the gardens and fuck um which is basically what he's saying to her he's like in public like everybody in the middle ages apparently let's just get out and do it because apparently that's that's how it's done um so our hopes are dashed and her mom comes in played by jacqueline bissett and uh bissett and she looks really good herself. And she's like, you can't afford a husband, Veronica. So what does she have to do? She should become a courtesan, which for everyone at home is basically a really fancy prostitute. It's a super fancy prostitute. Like and this is the like elite of prostitutes. And it's this point that I will point or I will send everybody in the direction of my favorite musical or second favorite musical. Gigi, uh, which is a musical about a young French lady becoming a courtesan. Even though she's not technically a courtesan in the movie, she's a courtesan. That's what what she's getting (laughs) trained up to do. Um, To marry into a rich man's society, uh, basically. And um, yeah, it's really good. Uh, If you can get past the fact that it starts with the creepiest song in the history of the world. Thank heavens for little girls. For little girls get bigger every day. Oh, God, I hate it. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> yep, that's... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so her dad drank away all the money that she was going to have. So she's left with very little options because she can't attract a good husband. So she's going to have to become courtesan. Or as Sarah said, fancy prostitute. Yeah, as in last week's movie, the real villain is dowry inflation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Actually, some of our nuns from last week probably should have become fancy prostitutes instead. Uh, if you saw some of our nuns from last week, they definitely should have become fancy prostitutes. <laughs> they were busy doing it anyway. Um, we get a training montage. This is my second. This is one of my favorite <laughs> montages in the history of movie. Uh, it's basically like the Rocky montage for, I, I'm going to be sounding, going to say this, going to say this phrase, sucking dick. That's effectively what a mom <laughs> just teaches her in this movie. Pretty much. We also learn uh, this what the sexy way to eat grapes is. Mm-hmm. Um, in case anybody you know really wants to know how to sexily eat grapes, uh, this segment of the movie, which is basically a training video for 16th century prostitutes, will teach you how to sexily eat grapes. Uh, it definitely will. And then there's a bit where they bring in a dude whose job is just to demonstrate how penises work to young courtesans. Is it's it... like, how much do you make off that? Like, is this just literally his main employment? The, the, the main employment, like I, when I said this is what her mom is training her to do, it's literally, there's literally a scene where the mum is showing her how to touch a penis, how to 
play with a penis. Like, that's what's in this movie is like, here, you need to make, like, we're getting into filthy territory because it's not, <laughs> it's not really a filthy movie. But it's like, she, the mum's all, the mum's showing her, like, you need to, like, take your time and work on it and, like, move your hands. She shows her how to jack them off and stuff, like. It's, yeah, this section of the movie is like the world's worst possible parental sex talk. It's really bad. It's it's like <laughs> all the things you imagine where if you're watching a Saturday Night Live skit where somebody comes in and goes, uh, I'm your parent and I'm going to te- talk to you about sex. And they bring in like a PowerPoint and start showing stuff. It's that only from the early modern period. We don't have yep. PowerPoints. So here's a, <laughs> a sculpted man. And just here's an actual just is, dick. Yeah. He's a sculpted dude. Now, I don't know if this has ever affected women. I don't know if they talk about this a lot. But I, I, you know, I had feelings of inadequacy watching this man and his... I mean, Rufus Sewell is beautiful, but like he's not got a 12-pack. This guy is like a 14-pack and buns of steel. I'm never looking at it going, oh, I wonder if women ever feel these pressures when they're watching other people on TV. I mean, I just feel inadequate, like, you know, learning that women can eat grapes that sexily. Uh, yeah, uh, Sarah's not lying with this. I've seen her eating grapes. Oh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so she makes sexy. her. She makes noise. <laughs> um, it's like the Cookie Monster only with. Like, um, so Veronica makes her debut as a courtesan, and uh, let's just say she's a very popular because she's very beautiful, but also very very witty. Yeah, and you know, she's got, she had good training. So her mother, by the way, was also a courtesan, which is uh, how she came up with this whole idea. From from the sounds of it, uh, a famous courtesan. Everyone seems to be like, oh, you're such and such's daughter. Mm." Yeah, so she quickly gets a few regular clients, including, and this is basically true to life. uh, She gets a cardinal, so that's a fun get. Yes, uh, she has a, a cardinal, which is, as we know, what Sarah likes to do is just bash the Catholic religion. <laughs> Definitely never happened. I'm, I'm just saying they weren't great at the whole celibacy thing. No. It's, it's fine. I understand. It's just, <laughs> you know, maybe they should have given up on it. Me, whatever. So she gets a, a lot of um, regular clients, uh, one or two very powerful men. And Marco gets really jealous because she refuses to sell her love to Marco. Yeah, which I love. She starts to get at this point, I would say, very witty and snarky. So he mm-hmm. at some point is going after her and she's just like, oh, I'm all booked up and kind of wanders off. Yeah, she's with like some other dude. Yeah. And Marco can obviously go and get it with any number of women stroke corsets and his wife is Naomi White's. What's who, even though they've doubted her up in this, is a very beautiful woman. Yeah, she's still very pretty. She's just not very interesting. Oh, like Naomi Watts. Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> then Matthew, played by Oliver Platt, um, becomes her friend because he tries to be all witty and charming with her. And he, she's like, ha ha ha, yes, I'm going to have fun with you. But have you seen... Oh, so just to, to put it into context as well, a couple of the older dudes that she's actually banging are quite sexy older men. Like They're quite sexy and they're paying her. Yeah. Matthew so... is basically just like, so I am like somebody, I'm like a poor relation. I can't actually give you money. I just want to have sex with you. And she, I think, actually says as a way of kind of honestly letting him down easy. I think she says uh, we can't afford one another. Yeah, exactly. Because she can't afford to have a poor person because she needs the money coming in. And he can't afford to have a top class quality prostitute. Yeah, he can't pay those fees. Marco starts trying to woo her because now that she's not offering it up for free, 
and she won't even take his money from it. It's the only thing she wants. He literally becomes obsessed with her. Yep. Um, he also becomes a jerk. So first he's kind of trying to woo her and uh, says, talks about, oh, I regret hurting you with all of my heart. And But of course, while he's, staying, he's saying that, he's like staring at her chest and she just goes, the heart is higher up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's a lot of really good early modern zingers in this movie but i just want to point out the heart isn't higher up it's probably exactly where he was looking <laughs> just and also he was talking about his own heart why are you so hard on pure sexy rufus um <laughs> thank you are, thank you for your science some. contribution see your your expertise <laughs> is also relevant to this I'm, podcast. I'm always helping with this knowledge um so he gets uh he gets really drunk and he starts shouting at her and she's got a client. Um, she's she's on the she's working, dude. And do you yeah. know what? Not only is she working, she is working it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Mafio, his cousin, also becomes a dick. I guess being a sentient bag of dicks runs in the family. <laughs> um, can we uh, can we play this bit out? Yes. Um, okay. <clears throat> this is Marco with his new wife trying to get a little bit of playful fun going with her. And he's trying to get into the same witty repartee that he has with our heroine, Veronica, with his wife. So we're going to play out a little bit of this scene. So I'm going to play a sexy Rufus, and you're going to play ultra-Christian wife. Sarah, does ultra-Christian wife have a name? Uh, Ultra-Christian wife is named Julia. And as we all know, I'm very good at playing ultra-Christian. Okay. And I am very good at pretending to be Rufus Cyril. Do you, you like poetry? I know the Psalms. Tell me, and he has sorry, he has a glass of wine in his hand. Tell me. Oh wait, I realize this is not a visual medium. <laughs> Sarah is watching me do a pitch perfect hand impression of Rufus Sewell because he's got two hands on the glass, and he goes, "Tell me a secret." I have no secrets. Also imagine that I'm staring straight ahead and trying not to look at my husband. Yes. Everyone has secrets. Utter silence. It's just literally utter silence there. And then he goes, tell me a desire. A deep desire. I hope to give you many strong sons. No, I mean something... For you, something just for you. To be a good wife to you is my only desire. Yeah, that's it's, <laughs> it's so literally sexy. like that. It's, <laughs> and he gets he's getting so frustrated. It's and he's he the idea that this person has no concept of sexuality to him is so baffling to the man. And simultaneously, okay, I feel kind of bad for her because she probably was raised really Christian and was really raised to, you know, be like this and was not, you know, she didn't have that kind of sexy training that uh, that Veronica Franco got. Mm-hmm. But it also is just so intense that you honestly kind of have to wonder if she's fucking with him. Oh, yeah. She, there's, <laughs> it's, there's no way a conversation would go there. Like, it's like she really, it's like she's thinking... Right, because this is how Christianism or Christianity worked for me. Um, I I don't think that between a husband and a wife, she would ever have had to tell anybody outside of that situation, right? So the idea yeah. is that they should have trusted each other and they should believe in each other or whatever, right? So 
she's acting like she can't say something sex to him because she'd have to go and tell the priest. Like as in, right. I'm going to have to confess this later on. But within Christianity, your husband supersedes the priest for this sort of stuff. You're allowed to have intimate moments with your husband as opposed to she's acting like, no, that's it's it's the exact opposite, right? So it's it's right. kind of weird and it's it's over the top. I'm sure there was something like that happened to many people where they got married to people that they weren't actually have any sort of sexual chemistry with. Yeah. She also, but, to be fair, like she probably is in real life a woman in that position. She probably would have been 16 and probably nobody had any real conversation with her about sex. Mm-hmm. Especially when you consider, you know, her mother, for example, who might have given her the sex talk very possibly was also, you know, married to some guy she wasn't attracted to that was way older than her and basically just said sex is a thing that you have to get through to have children because that's your job. Yeah, exactly. Now, we cut back to Veronica getting very popular with the local lords and Mafio getting extra dickish. And then they get to a scene where we have a rap battle between them, Sarah. Yeah, this is uh, our awesome early modern version of a rap battle, pretty do, much, that they have this like poetic duel. Do you have you printed out the rap battle for us? Um, I've printed out the real poems yes, uh, I can that see were actually this here. exchanged. I don't know if we want to do that now or wait until a later segment. Oh, let's do that later on. Um, okay. But yeah, so you guys are in for a treat. That, I'm just reading them now going, oh my god, this is literally a rap battle. She has a rap battle in which Mafio, who's meant to be the wittiest man of the season, uh, gets his ass handed to him by the courtesan. Not only can she suck the best dick, she can also make him look sick. Wait, wait, I've got another one. Not only can she suck the best dick, she can make this dick looks like he really sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Not only can she service the most cock, she... Anyway. Now that we're done talking about cocks for the time Mafio, being. Mafio falls madly in lust with her. But um, she's hardcore friends on him, and he just is. He turns into a giant asshole. Now, earlier on in the movie, we kind of skipped it over, but we see some scenes of the Dominicans moving into Venice and basically being super hardcore Christians. And he gets he, he gets rejected by her, and one of the Dominicans effectively comes over and goes, Hey, 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 hey good buddy. Hey, hey, good buddy. Yeah, I know you just got yeah. your ass kicked by a woman, but have you ever thought about, you know, being a Dominican? <laughs> this guy is literally just an early modern incel. He is this woman, incel. Yeah, this woman friend zones him, and that's the end. Then he's like, "Cool, I'm going to join the group of priests that harass women." Yeah, so he's basically, as Sarah said, he's basically a giant fucking incel. <sighs> yeah, Marco has been defending her, um, from Mafio and helping her, and then he decides that. She's, he's wooed her at this point and for some reason she decides that he's wooed her and they start having their romance again yes Um. so he is I guess supposed to be charming I think his main charmingness is basically that he basically tells Mafio to fuck off yeah uh, it's like the best thing he does <laughs> it is the best thing he does uh, Marco wants her to become his like him to be her only client 
And yeah. And she's like, no, I'm not having this. I like... First of all, I like to think that she's enjoying what's happening with the other men. Because we're not shown her ever being upset by it or angered right. by it. Um, no, until... she never seems to really... You know, she seems to be fine with the sex. Uh, and seems to have a relatively good time with the whole thing. Yeah, and she's getting well paid. So she's like, no, I don't want to give up something that I'm enjoying doing and getting well paid for just to be on your beck and call. You've got a yeah. wife. And it's and I... very yeah. much a reverse of what had happened at the beginning where... He'd been saying, you can be my side piece. I'm getting married. And she's like, I'm not going to be your side piece. You're married. I've got these right. other options. Yeah. And I think there's also a kind of element as well of her really appreciating her financial independence, that she doesn't want to be dependent on this single person. Because then, you know, if she can't count on him anymore, then she's screwed, essentially, in the hmm. non-literal sense. Exactly. Then her mom comes along and says, you're an idiot. And yeah. she says, I was a way better courtesan than you'll ever be. Like, she pretty much says, I'm a better lay than you were. Yeah, that's <laughs> almost, I, I've heard what you've been doing. I'm way better than that. Like, Yeah, uh, so she's basically like, don't be an idiot. Don't, uh, you know, whatever you've got, like, you're clearly working it for now, but don't get overconfident. Uh, you know, don't spend too much time with this one guy. Yeah. And then she does start to basically kind of be leaning towards only going with Marco. Um, but the Venetians get into war with the Ottomans and the King of France shows up saying he'll support Venice, but he has to get a good fuck. Yeah, so this King of France fucks. Yes, he does. Like a lot. And he says, I want to see where all of these good prostitutes are. I've heard all about them. Yep, like, so basically he shows up, he's supposed to be being, like, asked for political aid, and pretty much they talk to him about politics for, like, three seconds, and he's like, enough about all of this politics shit. Where are these fancy prostitutes I've heard so much about? So Veronica is the one who's picked to service the King of France, and it turns out that he has, shall we say, Christian Grey leanings? Unconventional desires. Unconventional desires, but... It's really implied that he likes to be effectively fucked because there's yeah. a bit where it's like she thinks he's going to hit her and then she pushes him and slaps him back and he loves it. Yeah. And then the next scene we see is him coming out going, yeah, we're going to go to war with you guys. We're going to help. And he's, let's just say, walking a little bit uncomfortably. Yeah, I think the scene is heavily implying that uh, she she got going with the like early modern version of a strap-on. That's exactly what I think is going on here. And you know what? Good job, King of France. You take that. Yeah. Take that like good. a good boy. Yeah, yeah. Good, for, um, good for you guys. I hope they had you. fun. I hope they had fun. So Marco uh, then comes in and like balls her out of it for uh, yep. fucking the king of france despite the fact that he's a married man yes he's like oh you like you're the like you're the worst because you did this like you know you're a whore which she is technically like that is her job and so then she's like i at least fucked the king of france for the good of venice you just fucked your wife for like the good of your own rich family so exactly who so the war starts and all the men go off to fight in the war and Veronica's kind of bored. Hopefully she's got enough money stored up. And then her old friend, Beatrice, um, <laughs> he just gives her a shout and says, hey, come to the party. We, we haven't seen you in a while. And she gets there and she's been keeping more up to date with what's been going on. 
Um, yeah, because and she knows all of the... I think she probably is still fucking the few men that aren't at war, that are yeah. like in correspondence with the people who are at war. And they've been telling her everything on the bed sheets or whatever about how the war's yeah. going on. And the, all of the men, all of the women are like completely unknowledgeable and she's been filling them in going well this has happened and this is where your husband is and this is where your husband is and he's the, the, then the women who as far as i'm concerned should be grateful that they're finding out where their husbands are and that they're still alive etc get angry at her because they're like oh you've obviously been fucking her husbands well yeah that's what she does like yeah like, right and everybody knows this there was yeah. a parade of them through the streets at the beginning of the movie and I will say, it actually seems like a lot of the women are, like, kind of fine with it. Like, they're even, like, kind of having fun. There's a scene that I actually forgot to put, like, put in the notes where she just, like, basically, like, sexy eats a banana in front of them and is clearly, like, demonstrating to these women how to suck dick. Oh, she um, <laughs> eats a banana. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, most of them are kind of fine with it. The person who's really not fine with it is uh, our dear psalm reading julia and this is this is the weird thing about it she is not she's going out of her way not to fuck rufus Hewell and yeah. have sex with him um she's, she's basically like i'll lie here and him. take it to give you a strong son yeah that's that's basically what it is and and yet she's the one of them who gets really upset and she's like either that whore and she says it like uh danny devito's character in always sunny in philadelphia either whore. that whore leaves or i leave no Christian woman could tolerate this. Yeah, and it's like, all right, come on, lady. I know she's sleeping with your husband, but you don't have to be that much of a bitch about it. It's not like you're very interested in him. Mm-hmm. And then Beatrice says uh, to Veronica <laughs> to make her daughter a courtesan, which I thought was a quite weird scene, because up until this point, Beatrice had kind of frowned upon the whole thing. Right, but it seems, so this is one of the scenes where it felt to me like it got a little too much into the kind of uh, modern feminist in the Middle Ages problem. Yeah. That she very much seems like she's like, oh, uh, women aren't equal and the closest I can get to equality or the closest my daughter can get to equality is being a courtesan. Mm, um, and she goes off on this whole thing about the nurse, her nurse having told her daughter that eloquence leads to promiscuity and things like that. Yeah, so it's weird. Like, I get being envious of the money and the financial independence that Veronica has. But also, I don't think at any stage in history have prostitutes been anything more than tolerated. Like, the yeah. way she acts, it's like, oh, my daughter will get a chance at equality. But it's a chance of equality as long as she's pretty. Right. And willing to do what the men want to do. So that's not equality. As you look yeah. at Jacqueline Bisset, or Bisset, Bisset, who is a beautiful woman, still a beautiful woman in this movie, um, has been cast aside and left to live a relatively poor existence. Right. And Venice is basically about as good as you can get for being a fancy prostitute. I mean, this is pretty much the, the best time and place to be a fancy prostitute. And um, she's already been cast aside and she's, what, yeah, 40? 50? Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. not that old. Um, the other thing, of course, that this movie kind of glosses over is that there is definitely a class thing to keep in mind here. Uh, Veronica's family is definitely lower status than that of Beatrice and Marco. 
-hmm. it would be super dramatic, completely unacceptable family shame for somebody of Beatrice's status rather than Veronica's to become a courtesan. It it doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense. Like, beat Ricky um, (laughs) (laughs) wanting her kid to, to go do this. So it, like... I, I like this would embarrass her entire family. Yeah, so I understand that I want my daughters to have more than I've had because she is effectively Naomi Watts's character. Just maybe she enjoys what she's doing a little bit more. Right. But she's you know the the wife that the husband doesn't love and is married to simply because she had money and it made connections. But right. at the same time, as much fun as Veronica's having, she's not an equal to any of these men. No. Like, she she is definitely a paid servant and paid to do an intimate act. Right. And I think this movie at this point, she actually does does do a little bit of a good job of actually showing that, yes, okay, I have certain privileges as a courtesan, but also, you know, kind of, I think she'd actually go in a carriage to where basically the old essentially no longer super hot courtesans live and it isn't pretty yeah and that's and she does a good job of telling that to um beatrice yeah where she's like no yeah i i have a lot of privilege but i'm still like i'm still at the beck and call of men who don't love me they love the image of me and next week when a new a new version comes in or a or and and then i think there's a there's one scene where you can see another courtesan trying to do like the witty stuff, like trying to talk like Veronica does, because that that's obviously what they see see as being very successful at the minute. So they're like, right. like they're like, oh, I'll try the witty thing and like laughing and whatever it is. So it it it's it's a style. It's what is popular at the time, and she's well aware. And because she is bright, she's aware that she can get passed over very easily. Right, so she's doing well for now, but, you know, it's not necessarily going to be something forever. And, mm. you know, she could be in a difficult position, potentially, if, uh, you know, the clients dry up. Mm, exactly. Then, to top it all off, there's a war going on, uh, and then suddenly plague breaks out. And the Dominicans begin to start saying it's because of the moral decay of the city that the plague has broken off. And it's because of the prostitutes. Um, and obviously, we all know that Matthew is greatly involved with this, and he leads an attack on Veronica's home. He leads an attack on her home, and then is her accuser, who causes her to be brought before the Inquisition, Inquisition. for witchcraft. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, in particular the people in Venice <laughs> in the early modern period, were not well, this expecting is, this, this to happen. This is the Papal Inquisition, the original Inquisition. Close enough, Sarah. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just like literally went on a 25 minute explanation in both of my classes today about the difference between the Papal and the Spanish Inquisition. They're all the same. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, there were regular plague outbreaks in the 16th century because it was caused by rats and fleas on the rats. And I mean, (laughs) rats were everywhere. I mean, Sarah will try to tell us that it was this utopia where nobody was ever violent and Prima Nocta was there for everybody every night. But that's <laughs> that's not how it was. There were rats and, and, and fleas passing out the, the Black Plague all the time. 
my point is there is also violence and disease and modernity, and we shouldn't displace it exclusively onto the Middle Ages. And that many people lived long and relatively happy lives. But some people people did die of the plague. But Sarah's not... The plague did suck. The plague did suck. And Prima Nocta is not as prevalent as it used to be. And Prima Nocta Just in case... Well, Prima Nocta was never a thing. Uh, This is actually the period in which Prima Nocta was invented, the period that this movie is in. Just... Just, just so it's we know, Sarah's, Sarah's not saying it's still around. It's not, right? So if you're over in England and you're just after having your honeymoon or you just have after getting married, like Prince Harry can't just show up and go, <laughs> oh, it's oh, my I was, turn. I was, I was going to say Queen Elizabeth. Like, why are you assuming they're gonna? she's going to pawn that off on Prince Harry? A queen, queen Elizabeth. Come on, the lady's like <laughs> 700 years old, Sarah. Come, are like, you a saying little that bit elderly res- women, are you saying elderly women can't get some? No, they totally can. <laughs> and Queen, Queen Elizabeth can get it, right? But the problem is that her hips would break. <laughs> like Shakira's hips don't lie. The Queen's hips don't take much pressure. <laughs> Poor Queen Elizabeth. But Liz, if you're listening, come at me. Um, no. <laughs> show Ollie what your hips can do. You, you, just, you, just show, you just show me all about it. Like, um, I've got your face on some money. And I've got some money to hand your... Oh, no, wait. No. That's oh, I could never say that. I would never do that. Um, I, queen Elizabeth, you're a lovely woman. Um, God save the queen. <laughs> so people go from loving the courtesans where they're having the parades to hating them very, very, very fast. Because they're bringing about the moral decay of the city and bringing the bubonic plague. Mm-hmm. And she gets accused of being a sorcerer, and she basically responds with, eh, "It's not sorcery. I just got these titties." It's great. Like I think uh, Mafia in particular is like, "Why would I have been so attracted to you if you weren't a sorcerer?" And she's basically like, "Cause I'm really hot." Yeah, she's like, <laughs> she she's got like the whole. Um, what you guys can't see, Sarah can see. She has like a really tight bodice pushing up. There is some heaving going on. Hashtag when heave. she says this, there is some heave, and she's like. Yeah, because of this. So she is taken before the Inquisition and is trying to defend herself um, uh, and ultimately ends up in a cell where they're trying to get her to confess to witchcraft. Um, Marco Marco tries to save her by telling people that they're out of order. It's like, you're out of order! It's like, buddy, you don't know how inquisitorial procedure works, do you? <laughs> they do not care what you're saying at all. Um, and then she wants he wants her to confess so that basically she gets doesn't get killed and he can right. continue having sex with her. Not because he loves her. He's like, but, but we can continue the way we are. <laughs> okay. Right. It's like, all right, buddy, come on. Um, so she refuses to confess and, you know, kind of goes forth. And basically, you know, says, uh, you know, kind of goes on and kind of tries to shame people. And then she's like, my only sin is that I embraced a whore's freedom over a wife's obedience, which is like way too modern feminist in the early modern period. Super, but I kind of like it. Super feminist. Then, it's kind then of Marco, a cheer, like one of those like cheer girl power lines a little bit. Marco comes in and he says, do you know what? You, 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 she's not going to confess and she's going to uh, be killed at this point. And he walks up and he goes, do you know what? <laughs> I banged her, and uh, and the, the whole court of the Europe of uh, Venice are there, and he's looking at all of them. They've all had a piece. 
including the cardinal, including whoever the leader is at the time. I can't remember who it is. He's sitting on the the the, bar, yeah, the, the doge. Is, the doge yeah, the name of the Venetian ruler. And and they've all had a piece of Veronica at this point. And he's yeah. like, come on, like stand up. And then they all do a like, I am Spartacus. Yeah, there's this like great like little bit where there's like so like the cardinal stands up and the inquisitor's like Jesus fucking Christ, and then there's also this like ancient doddering man who is like struggling to stand, and they're like, "What?" He's like, "I'm, I'm standing. Look, I'm standing." Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Stand up, as we stood against our enemies at sea." <laughs> yes. <laughs> this, this is, is a an war amazing, against ridiculous the- line. This is a hysterical scene. <laughs> it's very good and then there's an old guy trying to stand up and it's like oh good good on you veronica for like spreading it around with it like she right? would definitely do the queen like i would oh yeah um, so uh and then veronica he- would not be ashamed to uh to get the queen to stand up for this and the head inquisitor's like everything i heard about the city is true I leave this woman to Venice. He literally just like throws up his hands and abandons the city of Venice in Venice. horror, which is yeah. hysterical. And that's that's pretty much the end of the movie. So we're left to believe, I think, that ourselves and Rufus get to uh, continue their courtesan stroke lord uh, relationship for as long as it lasts. And he goes back to his wife who had to watch him doing that in public. I feel a little bad for her in this scene that she's just like sitting in the the term isn't bleachers, but I'm going to just say bleachers. Mm. Um, and is like too well-bred to do anything about it. But you can tell she's just like, this is literally the most embarrassing moment of my goddamn life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty funny. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is, this is legitimately a solid scene. Yeah. It's a, I, think, I, I enjoy this scene. Yeah. I, I remember when we actually watched this, uh, it was quite late at nighttime. Um, because there's obviously like for those of you who are listening, I'm clearly Irish and Sarah's clearly some sort of American Jewish person or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to call them. And uh, and there's like five to six hours between us. So sometimes when we're watching movies, it's going to end up being very late for me. And I I I admit it. Every now and then, I kind of drift off a little bit as we're watching. <laughs> but uh, I was I was wrapped by this scene. It was very. You were right yeah. awake for uh for the men standing yeah, I was, like they stood against their enemies at sea. <laughs> I was hoping for some more rap battles. I wanted her to rap the Inquisitor, and then turn out the rap. The Inquisitor's like, "Oh, oh, you want to rap with me?" And it just like burns her to the ground. If this movie was just Hamilton, that would have been really solid. Yeah, it would have been really good. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the end of our movie. So we get on to our next section. We talk about what they got right, what they got Vera, and what they got wrong, falso. Sarah, would you like to start with the? The stuff they got right or the stuff they got wrong this week? I'm going to start with the stuff they got wrong and lead into some of the stuff they got right. Wait, this movie got stuff right? Yes, it did. Hmm. It did. But I'm going to start with the stuff they got wrong. So, first of all, our poor King of France would not have been hanging out in Venice at this point. In, uh, so, that whole scene of them trying to get military aid from the King of France is very clearly indicated as being linked to uh, a big deal battle, which is the Battle of Lepanto, which is basically the kind of symbolic victory that the Venetians, as part of uh, what we call the Catholic League, um, ultimately had against the Ottoman Yeah, Turks. hell yeah. It's like the Justice League. <laughs> Except Catholic, yeah. Yeah. 
My man. <laughs> um, so the Catholic League has this kind of big symbolic victory. Uh, problem is that the Catholic League basically comprises all of the Catholic states except France. Because France, uh, first of all, is too busy just literally like murdering its own Protestants at this point to worry too much about what's going on over in the East. Good old Valentine's Day. St. Bartholomew's Day. Oh, yeah, Bartholomew. Yeah. St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre is uh, 1572, so just, just after this. It's in my calendar. I remember it every year. <laughs> Poor Protestants. And I don't say that often. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, just in case I, I, I was joking there, by the way, just for anyone listening. <laughs> I wasn't being serious. You I was weren't to literally saying around. that you were in favor of the no. murder of Protestants. No, I'm not. I wasn't saying that. It, it, as an Irish Catholic, that's that's something you don't want to be on, on record. Um, so France is basically too busy with that and also actually has its own alliance with the Ottomans because their main enemy at this point is really Spain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my theory actually as to why they bring in the King of France here is, uh, first of all, that right now the King of Spain, who is the more kind of relevant party is Philip II, who is the most like dour fucking Catholic dude ever. And no one would believe he's like getting it on with this prostitute. No way. I'd like to think that he's dour in public, but he's a Philip in the streets. He's a Louis in the sheets. This man might, unfortunately, be a Philip everywhere. <laughs> uh, he's uh, he doesn't have a reputation for being a super sexy gentleman. That's because he was really good at hiding it. Maybe, maybe. Um, also, I would like to note that um, so this particular individual is clearly supposed to be King Henri the Third of France, who, in fact, mm. uh, as we'll see, Veronica Franco did have a bit of a liaison with. Mm. but that is not the person who even would have been king of France in 1571. That would have been Henri's brother, Charles IX. Uh. <sighs> More stuff that's wrong. Yeah, we're, uh, we're also a bit off on our dates, essentially. So, uh, for example, you know, Venice did have a plague epidemic, but the plague epidemic didn't coincide with this big war effort against the Turks. It was a few years later. It was about, mm -hmm. about five years later. Um, there's also a few things that I would kind of characterize as somewhat in between. So one of those would be the status of women, and in particular, elite women in Venice. On the one hand, yes, it was certainly the case that you had this problem with dowry inflation that meant that women often were kind of forced into convents against their will and also meant that, you know, in practice, many young women are in arranged marriages to older men that they probably are not very excited about marrying. Yeah. On the other hand, Venice, according to most historians, is probably at this point, at least not the worst place in Italy for women to be, that Venice is generally seen as, at least for elite women, a much better option than Florence. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, basically because you tend to have more control over your money and that gives you kind of more power within the family. Yeah. I mean, it's not often you can say that something's a better option than Florence. <laughs> I mean, to visit... Florence, you know, is gorgeous and also has slightly better weather than Venice. Venice is also and, gorgeous. Uh, Venice is gorgeous, but also stinks. And also is literally sinking. And stinks. I don't it care what anyone well. says. I've been to Venice several times and all several of those times, 
It's a stinky city. One of the few times I was in Venice, the uh, water in my shoes turned into slush. But despite Mm. that, I do like Venice. (laughs) So uh, other things that I would characterize as somewhere in between would be the depiction of the Inquisition. Um, So first of all, I will say the Inquisition, despite Venice's notorious vice, the Inquisition does not in fact give up on the city of Venice in despair. It does remain active in the city of Venice over the course of of the early modern period. However, its main interest is not, in fact, uh, witchcraft, that uh, there are occasional prosecutions for witchcraft, but overall, the kind of early modern witch craze is much more northern than it is Italian. Uh, so they're actually mm-hmm. much more concerned about people who might actually be secretly Protestant. Ooh. I have <laughs> a small question for you, Sarah. Yes. You know the way that King Henry... Um, is represented in the movie should have been his brother but also you think it should have been the Spanish king is there any chance that the papal inquisition here should have actually been the Spanish inquisition uh, only if it was in Spain and actually speaking of the king of France that reminds me the other thing uh, this is a real thing that the papal inquisition is interested in uh, is specifically seeking out men and prosecuting them for what they would have called sodomy which was not legal. Take that, Henry, (laughs) which you did. (laughs) So that was the other big, uh, big passion, really, of the Inquisition was uh, was sodomy in the uh, the Venetian Papal Inquisition. Lovely. Now, that is a a distinctly strange phrase to have come out of your mouth there. The big passion of the Inquisition was sodomy. (laughs) Um, Delightful. Uh I stand Uh, by that phrase. One of the things that I did notice during the movie is that uh, Veronica takes the morning after pill. Yeah. Quite a lot. Is this something that would have happened back in the day? Yes. That actually is more or less at least accurate that uh, there obviously is not perfect contraception in uh, the medieval or early modern period, but women in particular are very much aware of herbs that uh, can kind of serve a purpose as a, is abortive fashions the correct pronunciation? Yeah. Yeah, um, that herbs can kind of serve that function, and it's obviously less effective than, you know, modern contraception, but, uh, you know, there's a decent chance that it might do the job. Uh, yeah, uh, it just seems so, the way the scene is done in the movie, it's like this unctuous black liquid, I was like, oh, like... Uh, it doesn't look very tasty. no. Um, but yeah, but she would have probably had something like that, that she would take, uh, in the morning to keep herself from getting pregnant. Yeah, that's good though. Um, what about courtesans? Was that, was that read? Yeah. Venice, uh, is in fact known in this time period for having a number of very expensive and very high status prostitutes. Um, as we'll see there, uh, I'll talk about this, uh, in our next segment a bit more. They even have, uh, this is actually a book that has survived, there's basically a yellow pages for fancy prostitutes. Are you serious? Six- yeah. No way. Yeah. Like a Craigslist back from the... Uh-huh. You could go to an archive and look at the 16th century yellow pages for fancy prostitutes. Oh, this is... That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. Uh, so that was real. Uh, were there any real people in the movie? And there were lots of real people. So uh, first of all, uh, Marco Venier, that is a real family and he himself is a real person. 
the Was veneer. he as beautiful yeah. as Rufus Sewell? Uh, not clear, but, uh, you know, he at least was very important. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe also sexy, um, but definitely important. <laughs> uh, so the Venier family counted among their numbers a number of uh, doges, the uh, kind of official leaders of the Republic of Venice. Um, and in fact, a member of this family, Sebastiano Venier, was doge during um, part of, was a doge during Veronica's lifetime in 1577 to 1578, oh, yeah. and was a commander at the Battle of Lepanto. Hmm, so perhaps he is one of the characters in the movie. He actually, as far as I can tell, isn't, but. Uh, Domenico Venier, who's uh, Marco's father, is clearly a person who has a kind of intellectual poetic circle surrounding him, a real person. Mm -hmm. um, he indeed had a nephew, Mafio Veniero, who is a well-known cleric and vernacular poet, uh, and uh, overall quite well-respected figure. And mm -hmm. a son, Marco, who uh, may indeed have had a liaison with a certain very real Veronica Franco. Yeah. Uh, and the King of France uh, was also a real person, and he, you were saying, had a run-in with Veronica, and by run-in, yes. maybe ran into her repeatedly? Yes, so uh, the Henri III, who is, uh, was not really the King of France quite, when, quite at the time that this scene took place, but who would shortly mm -hmm. become the King of France, uh, did in fact visit the city of Venice, uh, basically just on his way. He was actually, long story, he's also the King of Poland. Don't worry about it. Oh. Uh, it's probably too much explanation <laughs> that we can get into but he's the king of Poland his brother dies he basically hightails it the fuck back to France because obviously he wants to now be king of France mm -hmm. and en route stops in Venice and uh, seems to have had something <laughs> of a liaison with Veronica Franco and they in fact exchanged letters and uh, she wrote a sonnet to him which is in her yeah. published collection of poetry when uh, that's when he was the king of Poling huh Mm -hmm. uh, when he was in Venice. Oh. <laughs> hey oh. Um, which then leads us on to Veronica Franco, our, our main character, who I was incredibly shocked when Sarah told me we were watching this. Yeah. She's a real person, you know. I was like, wait, what? What are you even saying? So that leads us to our section where Sarah tells us about somebody real from the period, and that is Historia et Veritas. Sarah, tell us all about Veronica Franco, 1546 to 1591. So I'm going to tell you about Veronica Franco. But first, I'm actually going to tell you a story about my graduate school interactions with oh my Veronica God. Franco and her wait poetry. Till I, wait till I get some popcorn in here. And mm -hmm. it sounds like it's going to be good. So my PhD is in medieval history, but they uh, occasionally make you so, take courses just, that are... Just Sarah, Sarah. <laughs> yes. That's the fourth time in this episode... You've mentioned your goddamn PhD. I'm, uh, I'm trying to help the people who are playing bingo at home. No, I'm only joking. I'm, not, I'm, <laughs> so I'm very impressed by Sarah's PhD. I just like to pretend I'm not. So, uh, Miss Decker, could you continue? <laughs> only if you call me Doctor Decker. Okay, uh. Doctor. Oh, wait, that's a, wait. Hold on a second. I'm no, I'm no King Henry the Third. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'll call um, you Dr. Brady for the rest of the podcast, too. God you also have a that. PhD. That is true. Uh, Dr. Decker, continue. <laughs> yeah, so in my very first semester of PhD coursework, uh, they did actually make me take a course about early modernity. I took a course on Renaissance Italy. Mm -hmm. And this was a course that was co-taught by two faculty members, one of whom was very 
effusive, may I say, and the other whom was rather reserved. Mm. And one of the readings that our more effusive professor assigned, she was also, she was a literature person. The other one was a history person. One of the readings was some of the insult poetry, which we'll get to in a minute, between Mafio Venier and Veronica Franco. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we actually even had it like in, I think we had a kind of dual language editions. So we were actually even maybe looking at it in Italian or in uh, what you would at the time really call Venetian because Italian is basically Florentine anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are in this class. And uh, our one professor who had assigned this, and she's from somewhere in Southern Italy, looks at the other professor, the more reserved woman, who is in fact Venetian, and Mm. says to her, oh, you have to read this in your Venetian accent. (laughs) And this professor, who is a wonderful woman who was on my dissertation committee, just looks at her and goes, I'll pass. (laughs) It was devastating. (laughs) But did she say it in a Venetian accent? She's like, I'll pass. I mean, yeah. I mean, I assume her everything she says is in uh, something, if it's in a, something of a Venetian accent. But yes, nice, uh, nice. I'm not I'm not going to imitate it. I have too much respect for her. So anyway, that leads into the fact that our heroine, Veronica Franco, is a real person. Important enough that you might, in fact, read her poetry in a graduate course on Renaissance Italy. Um, she was in fact a fancy prostitute. Uh, She is mentioned in uh, our uh, fancy kind of yellow pages for prostitutes, which is called the Catalog of All the Principal and Most Honored Courtesans of Venice, Hmm. um, which includes names, addresses, and fees. Both Veronica and her mother are in fact listed. And we know according to this that her mother in fact seems to have been the one that you would actually pay if you were going to go to Veronica for an evening. You would yeah. give the would money you, to her mom. Would so she was like the pimp. <laughs> yeah. Also, it says the fees. What sort of fees were we talking about? Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but she was one of the higher paid ones, certainly I believe, and mm-hmm. uh, higher paid enough that she certainly really would have been only an option for the relatively wealthy citizens. Nice. And then uh, her mom obviously was uh, more expensive because. As she tells us in the movie, she was better. She was a better lay. <laughs> so I think funny. at some point Veronica did actually uh, go up in price a little because of her reputation as a poet, however. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Um, so she was very successful as both a courtesan and a poet. Uh, her patron and uh, her patrons and perhaps lovers as well included, as we've talked about, Henri III of France. And she even had her portrait painted by the famous Venetian artist Tintoretto. Ooh. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can dig that up and post it in the Facebook group. Yeah, that would be perfect. Yeah. Um, and really, she is very much somebody who clearly did, in fact, use her intellectual skills and her wit as uh, basically her kind of branding for attracting educated and elite clients. Um, so a lot of that is, in fact, pretty close to what we see in the movie. Uh, Some things that did, however, get cut out is that Veronica had, in fact, entered when she was quite a bit younger into an arranged marriage. Um, Yeah, she married a doctor named Paolo Panizza, uh, but seems to have abandoned that marriage. Divorce isn't really an option per se, but uh, she was able to recover her dowry from him and uh, they lived separately. And um, we also know from a will that she wrote uh, when she was pregnant with one of her children 
that it was definitely not his. Okay, so this is... <laughs> she, right, she was born in 1546. Yes. In 1564, you've written down here, she was beginning to recover her diaries. Yeah, so she married him probably when she was about 16, and then by the time she was about 18, she was already like, now I'm done with this. And how many children did she have by the time she was 18? Oh, by the time she was 18, she had had at least uh, three pregnancies, though not all of the children had survived. Uh, but she was on, I believe, her third yeah. pregnancy and uh, gave wow. birth uh, on gave birth six times over the course of her life, although three of the children died in infancy. Yeah, but... She- yeah yeah that's uh that's actually where the idea that uh mortality rates were so high in the middle ages comes from um it's not really that people all died at 30 it's that the whole rate is skewed by the fact that infant mortality was so high yeah Yeah. so um that's she's a pretty good example of that that half of her children died before they were a year old basically yeah wow that is insane yeah um, Domenico Venier, uh, Marco's father, was in fact her primary patrons, and her collection of poetry actually includes some uh, sonnets between her and Marco, which is very sweet. Sort of. Maybe. <laughs> I can't decide after watching this movie. <laughs> um, she did face challenges similar to those seen in the film. She was before, she was in fact uh, dragged before the Inquisition and prosecuted for witchcraft, um, but did ultimately escape punishment in part because she did, in fact, have a number of people on her side, including some people who were patrons or clients or both. And, in fact, even the Inquisitor seems to have basically decided, uh, nah, I'm not going to mess with this lady. Um, she I did, thought you were going to say yeah. even the Inquisitor decided to mess with this lady. <laughs> he, he might have. Uh, who Who's to say? But she had a lot of people for various reasons on her side. However, the people on her side did not include Mafio Venier, also, as I mentioned before, a real person uh, known for his poet, his vernacular poetry. And in around 1575, shortly before the publication of her poetic collection, the Tetsei Rime, she participated in uh, what you would call a tensone in Latin, which is basically a rap battle. Mm, they did. Which is one of the uh, weirdest scenes in the movie. Yeah, and that is uh, essentially real. It might not exactly have been two people actually slinging insults poetically at each other in person, but they certainly did basically exchange insulting verse with one another. Hmm. Um, And you have included... Yes. Two of these verses here. I have. So uh, I think you should recite uh, Mafio's poem, which uh, is Veronica Verunica Putana. Oh, Veronica, you truly a unique whore. Yep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Franco, you are foxy, flighty, flimsy, flabby. Smelly, scrawny, scrimpy, and the biggest scoundrel besides, who lives between Castello, Ghetto, and the Customs. A woman reduced to a monster made of human flesh. Plaster, chalk, cardboard, leather, and wooden board. A grisly spook, a scabby, poxy ogre. A crocodile, a hippogriff, oh, bup-bup-bup. an ostrich, a knock-kneed mare. To sing of all that is wrong with you, your flaws, your faults, will take a hundred concepts, thousands of pens and inkwells, and countless poets to prospect of bridges and hospitals. 
Yeah, so he's harsh. Uh, that hospital's, yeah. Fuck, is that last line. Yeah, so that hospital's <laughs> bit at the end is actually leading into a part that I did not include entirely just because I actually couldn't find an English translation and my Italian is not good enough to do an appropriate translation. Um, you could but have it actually, asked, Sarah. You could have asked. Next time. Uh, but actually goes into basically claiming that she is in the final stages of syphilis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Veronica, how did you respond to me? I dare to defy you to combat in the field with a heart entirely aflame for revenge. I do not know if you think it a trifling risk to enter the field to joust with a woman, but though you once fooled me, I warn you now that if on one hand it might be unseemly for a strong man to contend with a woman, on the other it's thought a weighty event. When we women too have weapons and training, we'll be able to prove to all men, hashtag yes all men, that we have hands and feet and heart like yours. And though we may be tender and delicate, some men who are delicate also are strong, and some, though coarse and rough, are cowards. And I undertake to defend all women against you who despise them so, that rightly I'm not alone to protest. It is certain that you miss great pleasure by being unable to savor our sweetness, and I blame your bad habits for being the cause." That, by the way, is a uh, not-that-veiled reference to the fact that essentially she's basically accusing him of not preferring women, um, which at the time would have been considered quite a damaging insult to one's masculinity, as well as potentially bringing you under the suspicion of the Inquisition. Yeah, so she's basically saying that because you don't see the pleasure in spending time with us, you don't get the sweetness because his bad habits are sodomy. Yes. Yeah. And then she's like, so the next line is, feminine beauty is a gift from heaven intended to be a source of joy to every man with a gentle heart. So she's like, it's a gift for men, but you're not a man. Yeah, you're not a man. You... You're not a, you're, you are rejecting our gift with your unmasculine choices, uh, you know, given how, um, yeah. you know, that uh you know would have been seen at the time that's uh, yeah that's harsh it's harsh. it's harsh yeah mm. okay uh but that's what i can't believe i genuinely can't believe that this is a real person and I'm, it's it's amazing to me that we still know so much about her yeah uh, and you were saying that you can find her poetry Yes, so uh, her poems are actually her poems are actually fully translated into English in a book, which I think is actually so. There's a book about her called The Honest Courtesan, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. which has some translations, but then there's also just basically the collection of her poetry is fully translated into English in a uh, collection, which I've forgotten to write down the exact name. But it's part of a series called something like uh, Voices of the Past or Her Voice or something like that, which is intended in particular to collect the um, basically writings of uh, pre-modern, in particular, I think the series Early Modern Women. Uh, but yeah, but you can actually, you know, read her poetry. It has all been translated. Um, uh, his poetry, I believe, has not been quite as extensively translated, unfortunately. So, uh, you know, it would be nice to really have the companion pieces. But uh, yeah, you can definitely look in and read more about her. That sounds very interesting. Um, so we're going to come to our next section, Sarah. In this section is where we come up with another better movie with the same title. And what we like to call Fabula Nostra. Sarah, could you tell us about 
what you think a movie called Dangerous Beauty should be about. Yes. So I decided to take the term dangerous rather literally. And so I also then was thinking about, you know, being a courtesan is maybe fairly good as far as, you know, being a woman in the early modern period or the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you know what's really the dream? Being a widow. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this before. We have. Is there anything sweeter than being a widow or indeed marrying a widow? And, in fact, is being a widow good enough to kill for? So... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have a kind of medieval thriller movie, which is about a beautiful widow who uh, is on husband number four, at this point a substantially younger husband, and is rumored to have perhaps murdered the first three husbands Mm -hmm. um, to get some of their money and be able to kind of, you know, live on her own with a substantial income. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is going to be basically a, uh, let's call it a medieval erotic thriller exploring the relationship between this widow and her new husband and, uh, questioning, did she kill her previous husbands? Did they deserve it? What really happened? I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. And, and who did you say was going to play the people? Okay. So hear me out. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. My sexy widow is going to be Penelope Cruz. Yes, both sexy and possibly a widow. Mm-hmm. And Penelope Cruz's much younger fourth husband is going to be Daniel Radcliffe. I think he has it in him to play sexy against somebody who's not a horse. <laughs> I'm going to give him a shot. <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter Radcliffe. <laughs> I think this Against is his chance. This movie opposite, is his chance to opposite get away sexy from the Harry Penelope Potter. Cruz. Uh-huh. This is his chance to like get away from just being Harry Potter. I think this is what his career needs. No, Penelope <laughs> Cruz could screw that child to death. Yeah, that's the point. That's literally the point of the uh, movie. I can't. No, I can't. <laughs> I cannot get over with it. All right, actually, I probably could. I love Penelope Cruz. <clears throat> So I think this would be a super fun movie. I think that would be a super fun movie. Okay. So yeah, what do you have in mind? I also took the dangerous bit, but I've been, this week, uh, in the last week, I've been reading a book about uh, Marguerite McLeod, um, better Mm -hmm. known as Mata Hari, um, who was a spy in the 1920s, uh, or sorry, 1920s, in the 1910s for for Germany. And Mm. um, I thought about the idea of setting it in exactly the same time period with exactly the same general storyline except our courtesan is working for the ottomans Ooh! and she is going out of her way to convince the other italian nobles not or venetian nobles not to sign off to go to war mm. so that the ottomans are going to move in so the idea being that she's beautiful but it's dangerous for her because if she's caught, she's going to get killed. But it's also dangerous for anybody who gets involved with her because she will just flat out kill you. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the city of Venice. And for the city of Venice <laughs> because she's working a way to destroy the city. Um, and I think that I would cast uh, Saoirse Ronan mm. as, uh, as our courtesan. And I'd cast Daniel Brühl 
who's a fantastic Austrian actor hmm. as uh, as one of the Ottomans because I've seen him doing an Ottoman stroke Turkish accent and I think he's very good um, and I would have Chris Hemsworth play, uh, play you got play Chris something. Hemsworth this time <laughs> he's just he's just gone because you didn't say Chris Hemsworth so Chris Hemsworth would play another character in my movie let's just say the Pope I I like that. He uh now that's a pope for Moses. And that's a pope that we could get behind or yeah. in front of, whatever it yeah. happens to be. And then the Inquisition can be all about something. Yeah. Now, oh, this so <laughs> also I'm gonna go ahead and explain my Pope joke. Uh one of my favorite popes, one of the last popes to use his own name was Pope Formosus, or to sorry, not use his own name, but to like choose a name that wasn't one of the standard Pope names. Named mm-hmm. himself Pope Formosus, which basically means Pope Sexy in Latin. Oh, yeah. Pope <laughs> Sexy. <laughs> right. So we get to our last thing where we, we say what our actual scores were for this. So this is where we estimate oh, the movie. I, I'm going to start. Um, I think we're going to be roughly the same thing. Right. This movie is bonkers and bullshit and silly. Um, it's not a comedy, but it is played for laughs in a lot of cases. It's very thinly plotted but also everybody commits to what's going on the thing is lavish and beautiful each of the actors looks exactly like what you would imagine those people would look like like Naomi Watts is a very pretty woman and she plays this dowdy very severe uh, kind of Christian lady and it yeah. works really well Catherine McCormick is beautiful Rufus Sewell is beautiful um, lots so of the other people in it are great um, and yeah I so I'm, I'm going to give it a 4 to 5 it's just a, it's incredibly enjoyable the absolute bull crap of a movie but it's got enough stuff that's now that I now realise is historically true to, mm-hmm. to make it very interesting and do you know what I, I think I'd recommend it to anybody listening yeah I genuinely really like this movie I actually made you watch this movie with me <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a lot of fun I think that you know it does definitely does not get everything right uh, and there are kind of things that are sort of messed up with the timeline and details here and there and it does definitely go a bit too far for my taste in the direction of uh, including a lot of kind of modern feminist rhetoric in the middle ages or mm-hmm. early modern period which uh, kind of irritates me because first of all, I feel like it takes away from the actual ways in which women could be kind of badass. And I think you sort of saw that in her poetry that she could be kind of badass and self-promoting and powerful without, you know, using the same kind of language about equality that women would in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I think this is maybe goes a little too far in that direction. But on the whole, I think this is a really fun, enjoyable movie that actually gets a decent amount right about, uh, you know, the experience of being a courtesan in early modern Venice and about, in particular, the life of Veronica Franco, who's uh, actually a pretty fascinating figure, I think. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah. So, so I'm going to also, say... yeah, I'm going to also give this a four out of five. So Sarah, would you say it's as good as next week's movie? Uh, about a certain outlaw king. I would say it's potentially better than next week's movie, um, but has approximately the same amount of dick. (laughs) 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 It's not something we need to see. So next week we're going to do outlaw king. 
Sarah, would you like to talk to our listeners? Yeah. So, uh, listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find this podcast. Uh, so we would really appreciate that. Um, uh, please also follow us on Twitter and please tweet at us. Um, we mm-hmm. are at Media Evil Pod, M E D I A E V A L P O D. Uh, we also now have a Facebook group, so join us in there if you want to chat with us about all things medieval and pop culture. And you can also send us an email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. And you can find us, uh, you presumably already have if you're listening to this, but you can now find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcatcher apps because I finally figured out how that works. Even if you are listening to us and you have found us, I want you to search for us again, just so that, you know, I have no reason why I would want you <laughs> to do that. But I just think it would be funny if you just, just, just search for Media Evil for the fun of it again. Subscribe um, for, subscribe to us in like five podcatcher apps to make us look better. Oh, yeah. Get as many <laughs> subscriptions as possible. I, I, love to, I love to hear you've been Yeah, subscribed. do that. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, Sarah, it's an absolute pleasure. You too, Ollie. Uh, and I will and talk we'll to you again next soon. week. All right. For Outlaw King. Outlaw King. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everybody.